Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to Red Inca, which is part of the 99.94 Network. I'm Jared Kimber. This podcast has adverts, but if you prefer your podcast without, in the show notes you'll see the link to my Patreon page and you can listen to our chats uninterrupted. Patreon also comes with many other benefits as well, including a Discord channel and private chats with me. But now, the show. This episode of Red Inca, we look back at all 16 teams in this World Cup. With that, I bring on a T20 expert. Matt Roller, assistant editor, ESPN Crick Info. There is some unnecessary slander of Wayne Parnell batting at number seven here, but most of the rest is very good analysis. We are going to go through the entirety of all 16 World Cup teams. Um, and so I'm going to be testing your knowledge with the first few teams. Uh, but I put them in a basic order, Roller. But I would say that if you, it's not like, I put them from 16 to one, obviously, but there's a few tiers, I think. Um, and, and, you know, I don't think there's that much between the sixth best team and the first best team, for instance, but I think there's probably a fair bit of difference between the sixth best and the seventh and the seventh and the eighth, if that makes sense. And then the, um, that's how I'm explaining it in my head anyway. Um, uh, also for when people go, well, you've got that team at number whatever. It's, just, ah, it's, it's more, it's more casual than that. Um, uh, I can start with UAE. I thought they were the, the weakest team at the World Cup, but, but one thing I would say is that they're probably the best weakest team at a major World Cup when we've had this many teams we've ever had. I thought they bowled really well. In fact, I was doing some stats the other day and I had to take their numbers out because their numbers were too good and it was screwing up all my <laughs> metrics of just how, how good their bowling was over the three games. They obviously had to completely change everything about their cricket after a third of their squad uh, disappeared due to match-fixing-related um, scandals and, and other scandals. What did you think of them? I, I thought they were okay, but they had two uh, batters that looked good on paper, but when they came out, didn't make many runs, but their bowlers really stood up. Yeah, I think it, you're 100% right to say that the best-worst team that a tournament has probably ever had, a tournament this big at least. Um, and I would say... You know, bearing in mind they probably made a bit of an error at selection because I think uh, Rohan Mustafa, who's been their sort of talisman all-rounder for however many years, didn't get picked and I think is now back in the team. So it looks like one of those sort of weird selection politics things that happens occasionally in associate cricket. Um, you consider that, the fact that they managed to, to win that game against Namibia um, with a makeshift death bowler in Mohamed Wasim, uh, And also just sort of looking for UAE moving forward, you know, it... They probably won't win that many hearts along the way because uh, people have 
certain opinions about UAE and probably rightly so at times. But um, I think if you consider the fact that at least, what, 12 minimum players are going to be involved in the ILT20 next year, people are playing in Abu Dhabi T10, there's now a pathway that there probably hasn't been before for players in UAE cricket to um, develop. So I think they, they, despite the fact they, you know, didn't make a huge lasting impact on the World Cup for themselves. Um, they obviously did for other teams in terms of having, you know, if if they hadn't uh, beaten Namibia, the Netherlands wouldn't have been through. And, you know, you have all sorts of different spiraling effects of that. But I think even though they didn't make a lasting impression at this World Cup, I think that they're actually quite well placed for, for the future. Yeah. Also, they've got Myappen, the leg spinner, who looks like a genuine leg spinning prospect. And, you know, if you compare him to... I don't know, maybe Hayden Walsh Jr. Um, he's somewhere between Hayden Walsh Jr. and where Sandeep Lamachane was, like on the random uh, player, a leg spinner suddenly getting a lot of hype um, scale. So I, I think from that perspective, there's there's something there. I, there um, Aravind, I thought, was a little bit disappointing at times. Um, and the other bat, uh, op- uh, the opener, the big old fella, who I thought might be slightly better, looked a little bit like he struggled at that level. Uh, but if you look at his record, he's made you know runs against Ireland before and... A lot of them had just never actually been out of the UAE to play, you know, well, certainly never been to Australia um, to play cricket, and they did look like that at times. Uh, if you go on to Namibia, they do slightly better than they look like they should on paper, and that the bowling unit uh, works very well together, and the field has backed them up, but they still struggle to make the sort of runs that are going to consistently get them to beat teams like Sri Lanka. It's not that they can't beat them, because the kind of low-mistake cricket they play, like, if other teams are taking risks, there are always a chance of being in the game. But it's hard to see them ever winning consistently. And I'm not sure much has changed since last time, other than the fact that, you know, they had a, a, a black player, a black African player in their side this time, who actually they gave the ball to, rather than uh, last time where that didn't happen. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think, I suppose the positive thing from their point of view would be that um, they they won without Visa contributing at the start um, because mm-hmm. it felt like, and without without Trumpleman playing as well, because Trumpleman only played one of the three games, I think. So, And it felt like in the last World Cup that they didn't really have enough depth, um, especially because I think Erasmus was um, playing through injury last time and Smith didn't really make much of a contribution. So I think last time it felt like if they were going to win a game, it was always going to be because of one of those two doing something uh, pretty special, whereas this time to have to have uh, competed at least pretty well throughout the, the um, initial phase without um, those two turning in huge performances w- was pretty massive. Um, obviously, Visa did get that. Um, it did take them really, really close in that crucial game against UAE and their tournament would, it could, could have been very, very different if, um, if that catch hadn't been held on the, on the boundary. But um, yeah, I, I would agree. I don't think a lot has changed. Um, I think there's, they'll be, I guess, relatively confident of... Um, get you know it, it's all about development of, and infrastructure, isn't it, for Namibia and getting that in place um, he- heading forwards rather than um, focusing too much. You know they're realistically not going to reach the last eight of the 2024 World Cup um, with the format changing, which is quite an interesting thing, I guess. We'll probably come onto this on a few teams. It's like the people have suddenly finally adjusted expectations as to what counts as a good World Cup uh, based on this format, but then the format is now changing for the next one. So you suddenly have to readjust and think, actually, it might be quite a good achievement for someone to get to the top eight, whereas previously, you know, even competing in the Super 12s and looking like you might get to the semis has been has been pretty pretty impressive for certain teams at, at this point. 
Mm. Well, on Namibia as well, like, I haven't looked into this much. I'm not sure if you have, but, you know, the fact that they haven't automatically qualified for the 2027 tournament, is it? Uh, which is a really interesting one because it feels like, and I'd have to talk to the ICC and go through the details, but it does feel like reading between the lines a little bit. They're like, we're not sure how good this team's going to be in in that period of time and it's not obviously it's not the usa so they're not throwing uh, money at it hoping that it works in the same way um so on to the netherlands fascinating team because we've now seen a lot of them over these last two world cups um and that basically had max o'dowd bats and I don't know, two Colin Ackerman innings um, is like almost their entire World Cup batting has been that. And yet they're bowling. Uh, and I know it was a bowling World Cup, but even within that, Paul Van Meekeren's figures are phenomenal. Like he was just absolutely brilliant. And and I don't think his figures did as as much justice. Even like I had a look at their Crick Info um, advanced metrics and I was like, I think these have even underestimated how good he was. There were times when they were playing him, they were literally going, well, we're not going to try and score off him here. We'll just knock him around the corner. Um, he was at that level. He seems to have taken a huge leap. Um, my worry is that they tried two young batters um, and by the end of the tournament, one wasn't in the team and the other one was batting at number five or six with a, with a facial injury. Um and those old batters who didn't make any runs in the last World Cup and didn't make any runs at this World Cup are going to be even older by the next time they get around. And you and I probably saw a lot of them play uh, in the last Netherlands summer. There's not a lot of strong batting, you know, that's pushing. Like Vikram G didn't make any runs and he was probably the most, him and Baz Dalita were the two most impressive guys. You can see why they took the, the chance. And you've got, you know, Myberg um, uh, retiring. So they're, they're losing some of the safety net of some of those older guys who've been around as well. And surely Max O'Dowd can't actually score all the runs for them in the next World Cup. So just to clarify, you got them 14th on these. Yes. Where, where would you have them? I, I would have them a little bit higher just because I think that much as I completely agree that their batting didn't click at all, I think, you know, they were what they lost to Bangladesh by nine runs. And if, if they'd won that game, they would have had three wins and really been in contention for uh, for the semifinals. So I think I would I would have them a little higher than this. I think um, just in terms of while I completely agree the batting was was poor, I think the bowling attack was really, really good for the most part. Um, you know, for example, even that game at the SEG where they were bowling to India. I think the fact that they only managed to take two wickets and still restricted them to 180 on what was pretty decent pitch, well, that probably showed um, how skilled some of their bowlers were at the death. I mean, no one really went at more than about eight and over, I think, across the tournament. Yeah. Uh, Van Meekeren was the, the obvious standout for me, but then, you know, Klassen, Klassen was very good. Uh, Glover came into it towards the end of the tournament. Uh, and, and Tim Pringle was was very good as a sort of defensive holding spinner as well across the tournament. So I think... Um, Personally, I thought they did all right. I think conditions in Australia probably didn't suit them. I think, you know, there's not a lot of cricket pitches in the Netherlands, but some, a lot of the ones that there are there, and I remember this was a talking point during the England series, it, a lot of them aren't great. And they probably, you know, could at some points in the home summer have used that to their advantage a bit more. Because I remember, you know, when they uh, put England in on a road and they got 498, there were a few people in Dutch cricket saying, why are we being such good hosts? Why don't we make them play on a sticky dog in Utrecht? Um but it, yeah, based on that, you think maybe maybe conditions might suit their batters a little bit more in the Caribbean, where traditionally, it, you know, you at least have some pitches with low bounce and smaller boundaries, and it's more of a sort of sixes game uh, than it was here. So yeah, I, I, th I think there are there are good signs for Netherlands, even though it, you know clearly the batting didn't click. I thought Scott Edwards maybe I don't know maybe used in the wrong role. I thought he's a such a good player of spin, and he was kind of wasted at yeah. five and six, and and didn't quite. Um, 
didn't quite get the opportunity to show how good he was, I thought. Um, but yeah, I think, and especially, you know, I think the bigger picture stuff with Netherlands is great as well. The fact that they've qualified for 2024 is massive for them because they don't have the jeopardy of qualifying tournaments. Mm. Um, and even though they so often have to play half-strength teams because of county cricket clashing, and that's insane in its own way, I think um, I think that there is now that core of Netherlands-based players who who will um, hopefully at least uh, you know stay together for for a number of years. Yeah, I think my my low rating is that I think Ackerman is the only player in the next World Cup of that middle order, um, you know, that, and you're right. They might, I mean, Edwards had a bad world cup, but we, we saw how good he could be in the, in the Netherlands summer. So I'm not too worried about him, but it's, if, if you, if Vicar and Jeep doesn't come off and Baz leader can't bat in the top four. And at this stage, we don't know what they're going to be walking into the next world cup again with a very good bowling lineup. That's a little bit older. That's why I have them a little bit lower, but to be honest, Scotland is the next team. And Scotland's a bit of a shit show because uh, we're not, if you look at Scotland's World Cup, so Scottish cricket almost combusted when they didn't make the next round. I don't know how much you followed about this on Twitter. Became a racial issue, became a political issue. Obviously, there's all the things going on with the race commission. You know, um, we did a whole episode on it on on Reading for a couple of weeks back. Um, and when you look at it, you're just like. Well, if Camphor, uh, one of those shots actually gets caught when he was swinging off his tits early on, like, right? They just go through to the next round. But it doesn't feel to me like Scott, like, uh, right at the moment, I still think Scotland have more, more, more talent on both sides of the ball than the Netherlands do, right? And that's the big difference for me when you look at that overall um, lineup. Having said that, I think Netherlands, obviously, you know, um, as you said, they didn't go that far away from beating Bangladesh in that other game as well and, you know, pushing for um, a semi-final position. But you do look at Scotland and um, they were almost in the next round until Camphor went completely nuts. I worry about Scotland's top top four. It's, obviously, it's not always, it's not even complete anymore. But George Munsey is just not scoring at the rate that he used to. You know, Callum McLeod looks like he's getting stuck a little bit in T20 cricket. Richie Barrington um, didn't didn't fire as much at this World Cup, but has been really good for them. The bowling was almost more of a concern because I, th- I feel that their bowling has been quite solid. And suddenly it was the first time I was like, I'm not sure this is going to come off. It may be the first World Cup where Josh Davey hasn't taken a bunch of wickets out of his ass, right? <laughs> like, yeah. You know, Josh Davey just turns up at World Cups and takes more wickets than he ever has for Somerset. And he's got a pretty good record for Somerset. Um and um, but 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 I just felt that it didn't click. But I think if you, when I was looking at them in the Netherlands as an overall structure, I just felt they were more cricketers at the very least. Like you know, someone like Matthew Cross. Like I think, you know, the Dutch would love to have him opening the batting with um, Max O'Dowd, right? Like they don't have Matthew Cross style players. And you look at Michael Jones's innings, um, and, and you know they still haven't quite unleashed the the two pronged left arm finger spin um, machine of Hamza Tahir and and uh, Mark Watt all together. But if you were to say to me that Netherlands should be uh, in front of them, I'm not, I'm not sure I have a great argument other than the fact that I don't trust Netherlands batting going into the next tournament. Whereas I think Scotland still has a pretty solid team. They just had a bit of a nightmare exit when realistically Ireland could have um, been the team that was the embarrassment and um, exploded. Yeah, it, it was a slightly strange comp for Scotland because as you say, M- you know, Munzee, despite being their top scorer, didn't actually really get going at any point and kept on, you know, getting these halftime interviews and all these match awards and stuff like that and saying, no, 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 I really didn't play very well, guys. Just because I got 50 doesn't mean it was good. Um, and yet, you know, despite the fact none of their batters 
really seem to ever get going. They still managed what one sixty and one seventy something against Ireland. So yeah, um, they they still did post two decent totals despite the fact that none of their batters looked like they were in brilliant form. Um, so yeah, that's I, I did one take the thing when you gone. look at those other teams. Sorry, just to interrupt you, but if you look at those other teams that we're talking about, and you can go all the way through to probably Afghanistan, Zimbabwe, Bangladesh, who will obviously be coming up later on. I wonder if consistently Scotland can actually make more runs than some of those teams. And so that is one reason I had them ahead of Netherlands. It's just that ability to keep themselves in the game with, with runs that some of the other really good teams out, or some of the teams on that similar level are just so bowler dependent. And also they only played two T20 games um, between the two World Cups, which is completely insane. But I remember, you know, that was a huge reason why Netherlands were no good in the UAE was because they hadn't played any T20 cricket. And the fact that Scotland managed to get within, you know, one fairly freakish innings from Camphor uh, away from getting to the next round, despite the fact they played so little cricket, I suppose does does suggest that if they if they get a decent fixture list over the next uh, couple of years, which there's no guarantee they will, um, then yeah, who knows? Maybe they can. Maybe they will compete um, a bit better in in the Caribbean. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. Like maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out of market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live, because you shouldn't have to change teams even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. So next one, it'd be interesting to see how you feel um, on this one. But I've got Zimbabwe as next. Okay. And yeah. I don't know where to put Zimbabwe, Afghanistan, <laughs> and Ireland, right? Because Zimbabwe really, really impressed at times, but their batting is held up by a 36-year-old number five, right? <laughs> and their best batter is, what's his name? Dion Myers, who's playing um, college cricket in England at the moment, right? You know, he's not even part of the Zimbabwean setup, right? He's like the best, the next, yet, you know, great batting talent in Zimbabwe. And he's, I don't know, doing an accountancy degree. He may not be doing an accountancy degree role. I'm just trying to think of something he may be studying. But <laughs> that bowling attack is really legit. But having, if you look at Afghanistan, it's not like their bowling attack is, is bad either. So I've got Zimbabwe next. Um, I, I would love to see how those three main team, or four main teams, I suppose, if you include Wheel now, who I didn't know much about coming in, they still have, you've got the old fella bowling his knuckleballs now. Ryan Burl was barely used in this tournament. And I think you and I have seen enough mm. of him to know he's a sort of a low level franchise level uh, leg spinner who can hold a bat as well. Um, and they've also, they didn't even have to use, you remember in the old days in Zimbabwe, like, you know, the Irvines and the Williams would be bowling their finger spin. They didn't even need that. When they go to Asia and, 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 and specifically, as you said, you know, in, in, the, um, in the Caribbean, they're probably going to be bowling a bit of that sort of stuff, right? Like they're, they're going to be bowling a little bit of that part-timey spin stuff at times. But I just, I don't know. They don't seem to have any batting that, like it really, for me, it was rather robust in this tournament. Mm. Yeah, I take the point. I think, um, I think to be honest, the bit, the big thing for me was just the enjoyment of seeing Zimbabwe actually at a tournament again and doing doing pretty well because, um, you know, I, I having having sort of missed out on I guess the glory era of Zimbabwe because I was a little bit too young for it or Zimbabwean cricket, I should say, very much not the glory era of Zimbabwe, but having sort of <laughs> come into the get into the game and started following the game when I did. I think it feels like that's sort of been a, a glaring hole, the sort of um, second big African team. Uh, and then to suddenly have, uh, you know, three in this tournament um, and, and, you know, Zimbabwe competing pretty well, 
Um, I loved watching their games, especially the first round in Hobart. They, it was so well followed when it looked absolutely grim and miserable when it was about 10 degrees. Um, and people were still singing and dancing in the stands, which was great. Um, and yeah, I, th- I think it, they felt more like a more like a moments team almost than a, a sort of um, a structured unit or anything like that. It felt like a team where... Um, I, I don't know. It felt it felt like there were more sort of moments of volatility in any of their games where, you know, they could be going absolutely nowhere with the bat and then Raza would come in and smoke 20 runs off his first eight balls um, and completely change the game. And kind of the same with the seamers where um, and Garav ruined blessing both of them. It just, you know, they, they, they both look like high quality players who, if they're nurtured right, and, you know, I know the infrastructure is still not really there in Zimbabwean cricket, but if they do get... Um, opportunities to play and blessing definitely is in, on the franchise circuit and i think in garava hopefully not won't be too far behind if they do get opportunities and i think they'll develop into really really good fast bowlers um in time so yeah i think there, there, there were definitely bits of promise but i can i can see why as well having sort of tailed off as they did uh why you would rank them behind afghanistan and ireland even though afghanistan left winless but i guess they're a, a kind of a, a different case almost yeah, I, I don't know what to do with Afghanistan. Uh, one thing I would say with Zimbabwe is I think their fans win best fans of the tournament. Uh, and by I think, I mean, you and I now, uh, this is official. <laughs> I'll send it through to the ICC. Uh, we'll get, we get an article up on Crick Info, quick 300 words, uh, more, more news to follow. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure Zimbabwe fans won uh, fans of the tournament. So Afghanistan, I feel like they didn't play in this tournament. <laughs> I feel mm. like because... It, was it two of their first three that were washed out? Am I remembering the numbers right? Or was it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, I definitely had the same feeling right at the end where Navi was being interviewed and was obviously about to quit the captaincy as well, which no one knew about at the time. But he was being interviewed at the end and was sort of saying, well, you know, I don't know, really. We've, 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 we had a game against England in Perth, which is probably the, the least suited venue to Afghanistan's team out of any. Then I think they had 10 days before their next game because of, you know, the fact they had, I think, two washouts in a row. I think you're right. And then by that point, they were basically out. So what do you really want them to do? And I, I think they basically performed a, around what you'd expect in that they, um, you know, it, it, in games against decent sides, gave them a bit of a run, especially against Australia in the last game, but without quite having mm. um, enough runs to um, to actually to actually get over the line. And yeah, I don't I, it's tricky for Afghanistan, isn't it? With with the sort of they have the you know Case Ahmed as the sort of Stuart McGill of uh, of his era, in that he's not going to play. Well, he didn't play any games in this World Cup. He doesn't play many games of international cricket, despite the fact he's you know pretty high up. If you were doing a ranking of the best leg spinners in the world, he'd probably feature quite prominently. But um, yeah, he's he's just not going to play. And I wonder if that will even change in the next World Cup in the Caribbean. He, he, you know, there's probably a case for it by that point, um, but. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I thought it it was slightly weird they left Naveen out at the start. Um, I think if they'd picked Naveen, they would have been a slightly better attack at the start. But um, yeah, I don't know. As you say, it felt like such a weird tournament for them where nothing really happened. And then uh, you have to sort of pick the bones out of of three games that didn't suit them in conditions. uh, uh, Sorry, the conditions didn't suit them. So, yeah. Yeah, I think think looking at their batting, there's there's an element of like, I think they have the ability to score 140 to 160 more than some of these other teams. And I think that's why I've got them slightly higher up. But you do look at their batting and it's like, I think their sloggers struggle against the, the, the best bowling attacks. And, they'll, you know, you might get one guy come off, but maybe for 25 to 35 runs. And then their proper batters just are so slow. 
Um, mm. uh, but, you know, it's an incredible bowling attack. But I, I don't want to mark them down too low for this particular tournament because I do think they're slightly better than what we saw. And, um, yeah, it was ridiculous. I mean, I, you know, a month into the tournament, it felt like they hadn't even played a game. So uh, I've got Ireland next. Um, I mean, I've got notes on Ireland. They can't play spin or bowl spin, uh, which is a bit of an issue. Poor George Dockerell had to come back as frontline spinner after all these <laughs> years again. Um but against pace and bowl, and obviously they've got, you know, interesting pace bowling attack with, especially with the dare and little, um, they probably missed out on, was it Craig Young that wasn't available? So mm. Barry McCarthy probably should have been the fourth seamer and he ends up being the third seamer, which is obviously a bit of a problem there. Uh, but for me, if you would have asked me three months ago, I would have said the biggest problem is that Law Kentucky is probably a number six or number seven. And now I would tell you that Lorcan Tucker is the answer to every question that you could ever ask about Eileen Cricket. He, he can go anywhere. He'd probably be their best spinner in, in a couple of months as well. Take the gloves off and start bowling leg spinners. Yeah, given um, Ireland's sort of historic reliance on Sterling as well, the fact that he, I think he got 150 in the tournament, but averaged 20 something and struck at 130. He sort of, so he was fine, but he wasn't, he didn't blow anyone away. Given that, I think they did did really well to finish as as well as they did. And I think again, they probably got screwed a, a little bit by the schedule because they won that game um, to qualify uh, against West Indies, and then I think something like two days later they were playing in a different part of Australia. They got on a flight and then had a game against Sri Lanka, which happened in the middle of the night. So no one really, uh, no one in in Ireland at least, sort of paid any attention to it because you know it was almost like job done. But then if you look back, if they'd had a bit more time to prepare. Maybe they would have given Sri Lanka a better game. And then, you know, who knows if they then manage to beat England, whether they can at least be in some sort of contention for the semis. I think, you know, that's probably that's probably a, a step too far to suggest that. But, um, yeah, I thought it was a pretty solid tournament from Ireland's point of view. And I think having lost a lot of games, but not by big margins throughout the home summer, that, that's sort of one of those things that sets you up quite weirdly where... You don't have any experience of winning, but I think the team seemed at least from like speaking to a couple of players in the build-up to have some confidence of we actually know how to play how we want to play T20 cricket now. We want to be quite aggressive. Uh, the bowlers kind of had some roles at least, and they were just a lot clearer than they were sort of towards the back end of you know they obviously flopped in the UAE last year. Um, they did still. Yeah. The, the one frustrating thing was with Ireland was they still seem to have that sort of gap. And I guess that would be where Craig Young would have played. But there was like a, there was a, a, a one spot that ended up being split pretty much 50 50 between Simi Singh and um, Fionn Hand. And mm. that spot, they both kind of felt like misfits in the team. And, and that, that basically felt like the big issue for me with Ireland this tournament was, and I suppose also you had someone like Tector playing who, while I think he could be a good T20 player, he's a sort of player where, you know, if he was in a, sixth or seventh ranked country rather than 10th ranked country in the world he would probably be focusing on test cricket and 50 over cricket and they would have a, a you know a young slogger in the t20 team for now while he still developed his game whereas instead he's played quite a lot of t20 internationals now and has a pretty average record just because it's it's not a format that's hugely suited to him but there's not a lot of other guys who can do it so um mm. yeah i think they're an interesting team i think then there's still enough of a gap um it's also really frustrating for them that they're going to have to qualify for the the next tournament um and there was a point as well where they were really screwed because it, it, if netherlands hadn't uh beaten south africa it would have been them scotland and netherlands competing for two spots in uh the 2024 world cup and a yeah. Europe qualifier which would have been unbelievably cutthroat 
it would have been a great tournament to cover. So it's a shame from that perspective, but obviously much better for them. <laughs> uh, that that game in Sri Lanka, I think uh, I think it was still played in Bl- in Blondstone. So I think it was still Bell Reeve. But that was the game when Tikshana um, uh, bowled his overs for 19 runs in Blondstone, which had not been particularly, you know, I mean, the seamers had been dominating. And I think Hasaranga, so I'm just trying to bring up this stuff. And yeah, Hasaranga took two for 25. And then DDS came on and took one for 13 as well. So it's just a classic case of them completely falling apart against spin. And they were dog shit in that game, right? Like it is, <laughs> it's worth remembering. Like if you look at the first, what? 30 overs of the game against Scotland um, and then that game against Sri Lanka. Like, you know, at, at that point in the tournament, you like, this is terrible. What is this team doing? And then they beat England on the back of that. And so it was, it, things changed very, very quickly. All right, I've got West Indies next, mate. Um, I put them there based on the fact that we have to assume they're never going to be full strength ever again. <laughs> um and also, even if they are full strength, I'm not sure that they have enough players who could average 30 in any format of cricket, really, but certainly T20 cricket. Um, and uh, they really need guys like, you know, Shepard and um, Odeon Smith and Akil Hassan to be all more consistent with the bat, if that's ever going to be the case. I thought they took some strides in their bowling, weirdly enough, in, in this tournament from what we saw in the UAE. But um, but then again, maybe it was just because it was good bowling additions and, and, and that was the case. But... They were, they they were pretty ordinary. I genuinely thought I was going to ask you in a second whether we'd forgotten to do them and needed to edit it so we could go back in and put them way lower down because I I thought they were really poor. I think particularly with the bat, just having you know having having watched and loved those teams in 2012, 2014 was probably actually the best year of those three tournaments. West Indies in terms of how pure that team was, that was a great mm. team that really. You know, it arguably deserved a title in a way, it, it, you know, even more than the other two did. But having watched those, yeah, the 2012, 2014 and 2016 and just loved the way they played. And um, I suppose the conditions did suit them in those tournaments to a certain extent in a way that Australia was never going to. But I, I was just so disappointed with with how West Indies went. I think batting wise, I just, uh, you know, people talk about them as being a six or out team, but it, it, they didn't they don't really hit any sixes anymore, especially in Australia mm. on um you know, when they obviously Blunston is different, but um, still some pretty long boundaries there, and they don't hit a lot of sixes. I think no one in the new, no one in the squad struck it over 130 in the tournament. Um, so it's, uh, it, 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 you know, it, it always looked like a, um, it kind of always looked like a disaster waiting to happen at West Indies World Cup, where they've just lost this generation of players and tried to replace them in a 12 month window and in conditions that are the the worst for West Indies in terms of the extra bounce that you you got in Australia. Um, And yeah, I I agree the bowling attack at times, you know, I think Joseph looked really good. It seems really strange that he's played as few T20 internationals as Mm. he has, Um, but he's, he's a really promising player. Ober McCoy is pretty good bowler. Holder bowled well in the tournament. Um, Hossein was kind of fine as a holding spinner as well. So they, they, they do have some players there, but the batting was just, just terrible. Um, you know, Puran couldn't get any runs and always looked like he was going to struggle against pace and bounce and struggled against pace and bounce. I, 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 what I would say is that heading into a World Cup in home conditions in 2024, there's every chance they'll compete to get to the last eight because I think that should play into their hands. They'll have home advantage. The players are familiar with grounds in a way that um, few others will be. But it just looks like a real mess at the moment. Um, you know, we've, we've both 
thought a, a lot about West Indies T20 cricket over the last however long. You know, I did a long piece earlier in the year. I know you've done, you've covered them quite extensively as well. And and the the, the systems and structures and player development and talent ID, none of it just seems to be there at the moment. Um, I thought the worst thing for them in this World Cup was to go in without. And you know, you talk about you talk about the fact we have to accept they're never they they might never be at full strength again, but. The actual reasons given for people's absence, like Russell, people just, you know, Desmond Haynes goes on TV during a CPL game and says, oh, yeah, we kind of moved on from him. It's like, ugh, this guy should still be one of the best T20 players in the world. I don't know if he is anymore, but, he, you know, he's a, he's a he, he was for a, a period not very long ago. Well, he could have the best hitter be in the honest, world. He could have won them one game in that qualifier on his own. Yeah, right? for sure. He, Andre Russell in three games against those kinds of bowling attacks, right? Could have won them one game on his own. Uh, Sun on her own, right? Again, could have won, won them one game. The reason I've got them higher is just because I do think there's still more talent there than most of the other teams we've talked about. And I think almost every team we've talked about so far uh, would actually bite your dick off to get Nicholas Puran <laughs> into their batting lineup, right? So from that perspective, I still think they should be higher. But if you're talking about just this tournament, I think they definitely would have to be lower. But I am looking the fact that they're going back home for the next World Cup, and I'm I'm you know putting some money on it. It can't be this bad again, right? Where you know something yeah. has to come go right in that time. I've got them um, and Bangladesh. I've got all uh, West Indies, Bangladesh all the way down to Namibia, all in the one tier, by the way. I just don't think right at the moment there's that much difference between all these teams because the West Indies and Bangladesh have so many uh, problems within their structure um, that they're going to have to overcome. And the other teams have it as well, but the other teams are like making do with what they can and these two teams aren't. So Bangladesh is, is next. I think right as we look at it now, I think this is a T20 bowling unit that can travel, right? And... I, I'm I'm maybe putting more um, hope on Lytton Das's uh, sudden rise to superstar um, than than I should be, um, but I'm still not sure they're going to make over 145, 150 to put enough pressure on the better teams, which is why I've still got them in that tier slightly below um, with, with with all the others. But uh, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, this kind of despite the fact that Shakib actually really struggled in this tournament. I think he's called forty something runs and went at eight so for for a player like him that was a pretty pretty poor comp um but i think despite that this kind of felt like the ceiling as to how well bangladesh could have done in australia given you know i remember we did an equivalent one of these um exactly 12 months ago and during that time we're saying how bangladesh's pitches and playing on slow and low surfaces in bilateral cricket and domestic cricket doesn't lend itself to um playing well in uh world cups in australia um, you know, that pretty much played out. I think they probably did as well as they could have hoped. They were in quarterfinal, oh, sorry, sorry, even semi-final contention heading into their last game, which is probably, you know, they'd have taken that for sure, I think, heading into a game against Pakistan. Um, I think I, I think the, the bowling attack, I think, has, it's quite a strange one in that there are, that, you know, that Shakib, despite the fact he didn't bowl very well in this tournament, is clearly a pretty good finger spinner. And then Taskin, Ahmed and the Fizz are both probably IPL squad level seamers and were both pretty good in this tournament too. I think Taskin in particular is going to be a really fun guy to watch how he develops over the next five, 10 even years. Um, 
but then there are those weak links and I think I, I agree the batting just there's just probably not quite enough in there and they, I think what they are is probably a team that will be interesting to watch in 50 over cricket in the World Cup in India next year because their results in ODIs have been pretty good and I think they have a lot of players who seem much more suited to scoring at a strike rate of 80 to 100 than scoring at a strike rate of 130 plus um, and yeah I think they'll they'll be sort of dark horses to make the semi-finals of that tournament, but maybe not so much um, as a T20 side. Hmm. Yeah, I, I could I could see that. I almost feel that because they don't, because they are more spoiling bowlers, you know, obviously Tuscan is, is slightly different, uh, but, you know, the rest of that bowling attack is more spoiling bowlers. If they can get to 240, 250 in a lot of games, they can maybe, you know, build some more artificial pressure um, in the one-day game. It'd be interesting to have a look. Uh, that's the end of that massive tier uh, of which there's just uh, question marks on every single team. Next team, uh, next tier I have is completely just Sri Lanka on its own because I think there was a little bit of undue hype about Sri Lanka that when you actually pass out their record from the group <laughs> stages through to the, you know, the, the Super 12 round, um, they're, they're four and six, which is not horrendous, but they're basically beating the teams that you would expect them to beat other than Namibia. Um, and they're losing to the team who you would expect them to lose to. And it feels like to me, there's no obvious thing where they can jump up. I think in this tournament, they probably overperformed considering they're fast bowlers. Um, you know, I, I, you know, it, you, random people, you know, Fidel Fernando was going to get um, called up at one stage like <laughs> to bowl scene for them, right? Like it was getting that bad. Um, but I still, I don't, again, I don't see... I think they're a slightly better batting unit than um, than Bangladesh. And I think they have more talent overall than Bangladesh, but I don't see them as like a team that's about to join the top six teams and be a legitimate chance of winning the next tournament, unless two or three players make an incredible jump. They're just like that number six and seven position that feels like, you know, who's available um, and they just chuck, chuck them a cap. And one of them's a captain. Yeah. It, 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 I think you're right that they they probably performed pretty well, bearing in mind they didn't have any fit quicks. Um, it, and in some of the games they lost, they actually played all right. Like against England, they could easily have won that game. Um, at the SCG, they probably needed you know not very many more runs um, to have created a little tiny bit more pressure in that chase. Um, and they would have been, and, and you know they then they would have been knocked out by net run rate. So it's a it, it's a tricky one. Um, I think. I, I basically think Sri Lanka are... I, I always went into this tournament thinking, and this was even after they won the Asia Cup, I thought they are particularly badly suited to playing in Australia. And I think how they do in the Caribbean will be almost entirely determined by which venues they get drawn at because I think, um, you know, Caribbean venues, depending on where you get, where, which group you get put in or which fixtures you get, you can have a quite, quite markedly different... Um, tournament so if, are you, you know, saying St. Lucia is a different pitch to Guyana <laughs> yeah exactly so if they you know if they're playing all these games at Providence so they might be a pretty good side but I don't know if that's even going to be used as a venue it's probably probably you know ICC aren't going to fancy um too many trips there so um but yeah it's it's one of those where I feel like they could do okay but I feel as though they're batters still there's just there's not enough good players at pace and bounce um and I I think that was that that Felt like it was always going to be an issue, and I think was an issue in the end, despite the fact that they came pretty close um, to doing okay. I think there were there was still still plenty to like. I mean, also just a quick word: we should mention Hasaranga having the weirdest tournament ever, where he had um, loads of really really good games, and then one of the worst games anyone's ever had um, against Australia. When I think he went for fifty 
five of three overs um, and got absolutely pumped. So yeah, lot. just a quick shout out to him. One thing I would say about Sri Lanka is between now and the next tournament, so many of their players are in the IPL and now back at PSL level and 100 level and you know all those different tournaments. They could We could have a couple of swift developments. Uh, people are looking at them again, which in mm. 2018, 2019, 2020, no one was looking for talent in Sri Lanka. Um, so we could have something there. Um, so the beginning of our, of our top tier, I've got South Africa at the bottom of this, uh, partly because the whole Wayne Parnell thing at seven, that's done, Roller. I'm out on that. Uh, I was uncomfortable about that in the last World Cup. Watching them lose to the Netherlands, I became a lot more clear in my belief that that was not any good. But if you look at the entire team, I still think that if you had a bowling uh, lineup that had Nokia, Ngidi, um, and like, I don't know, Maharaj maybe at nine, right? Um, and then you just had like a bunch of all-rounders, you could actually free up Quentin de Kock to play the way that he should, Aiden Markram to attack a little bit more, David Miller would be more exciting, Rassi wouldn't have to be 30 off 30 every single game, <laughs> right? Like, there is a, there's certainly something within that, that, and, you know, double brevis, there's talent coming through, they're about to get, um, you know, they're about to have, the, for the first time ever, a really, really top-level local league. Um, you know, all those things are happening. I think there is a good 15 players that they can do. But I think that obviously the Bavuma thing, I mean, it didn't help that he wasn't in form because if he was in form, this is probably the tournament that Bavuma should have done well. It was like, you know, he, he, you know, he could have got a bunch of short balls that he could have tapped around the corner and it wouldn't have looked like his strike rate was too bad. And he should have handled the moving ball better than most of the rest of the guys in that order. But even if you take that aside, it's like this whole idea of like only having six batters, um, it's just, it doesn't work. You need at least seven. <laughs> You know, well, the, the whole the whole theory about oh this number seven doesn't bat too much. It's like yeah, but if your opener looks up and sees the number seven is Wayne fucking Parnell, they're gonna block about an extra five balls that they don't need to. I think the other big issue with that, and I don't know to what extent this decision this this came down to batting depth versus just quality of spinners, but it felt like a lot of their bowling picks, especially Maharaj versus Shamsi, was done on um, you know who's going to offer a tiny bit with the bat in the event that they end up getting picked or, or almost creating like that artificial batting depth um, of being like, oh, well, you've got Rabada who can bat a bit and Maharaj who can bat a bit and Parnell. So maybe, you, maybe you're making a number seven by having three number eights. Um, but actually, arguably, those guys are number nines. So, it, yeah, it, it was... <laughs> It, it, it's a really strange team South Africa because I did look at the batting lineup despite the fact that you know they, they can be quite as all guns blazing as they would have been and for a lot of that tournament and even still now to be honest I think they probably should have got to the semi-finals I think they're, they're a, a decent side on paper um, that their their win against India in particular that was a real uh, that that was a that was a huge result um, and they 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 were great value for it as well so I think. I might even, to be honest, I might, despite the, despite all the the drawbacks that you say, I might nudge them a spot or two higher than you did. Um, I think they're a pretty solid side, and I think especially when you consider the players that are coming through, you know, Brevis is looks like he's going to be a generational player. Um, then e even still, you have, you know, I, I was speaking to someone the other day who was um, telling me sort of, you know, rave reviews about um, Kurtzia, the whose name I've probably butchered there, the Seema. Um, who I think is on, probably going to be on a few auction shortlists at the IPL or, or a net bowler, if not. Um, there's, there's clearly talent coming through. Um, but yeah, it it just just didn't work. And I think the, 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 the frustrating thing as well was 
that 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 final day of the tournament of, of the Super Twelves, even which was just the perfect day for national stereotypes, wasn't it? About you know South Africa don't have any bottle in Pakistan. Wow, they're so unpredictable. You don't know which team is going to turn up on the day. And it was like, right, okay, yeah, I suppose we do have to buy into this again. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I I thought I think they were I think they were an all right side. I think they they had a stinking day um, and you know were fine for half of a game against Pakistan and then not very fine for the other half of it. You could talk me into putting them up because, you know, the next couple of teams I have right above them are New Zealand and Australia. And there's a shit ton of questions about both of those teams going into that next World Cup. And I think there should be fewer questions. South Africa and India are the two teams that if they just fix the basic problems, I don't think talent and, and the age of that talent is the problem, right? Whereas New Zealand and Australia have you know, proper concerns, I think, going into that next World Cup. And you know, it'd be really interesting to talk to someone like, you know, uh, Andrew McDonald or George Bailey or whoever um, about, you know, Australia's issues and the same with um, in New Zealand. So, you know, you know how Gary Stead would be looking at that, that, that prospect. But at the same time, I just like, I don't know, you keep coming in with no batters and then in clutch games, because it, it, for me, you gotta remember I'm older than you, Roller. This is something that <laughs> they've been trying to cheat the number like, six, seven, eight, nine position one way or another for years, right? Mm. And I feel like they just never get it right in tournaments. And when you have to chase anything that's a little bit prickly in a tournament, I just feel that they're always going to fuck it up. And and I'm willing to say that the curse is nonsense and eventually they'll just win and we'll all be like, ah, that was funny. <laughs> but I'm not there at the moment. And 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 Wayne Parnell at number seven, <laughs> Sorry, you deserve to lose to the Netherlands if you get a bat Wayne Parnell. And, don't, and, and all the people who are going to say, oh, he's an all-rounder. Fuck off he is. He's not an all-rounder. Wayne Parnell doesn't think he's an all-rounder. Like, it's ridiculous. All right. Uh, I've got New Zealand next. And this is, a lot of this is age curve. Although, I could have had Australia in this position as well. Uh, next World Cup, Bolt and Southie are going to be 35. Ferguson is going to be 33. Nisham and Williamson, 34. I think Conway might be 33 as well. A lot that there's, you've got the Kyle Jamieson question of which whether he will ever become a T20 bowler or not. He probably should, but whether he, he does. And then you've got, I, I think Finn Allen is, I think his numbers probably flatter him a little bit, but I do think he is very, very good. And I think Glenn Phillips showed us that he is at that level. But I'm not sure, you know, um, if the entire squad, if it has all aged out a little bit. Um, and, and in some ways, the bowling attack's not that old because Santner and Sodi, I think, are both around, what, 28, 29? They're not as old as they look, despite the fact that Sodi um, got a job that made him sound 40 when he was working for Rajasthan one year. Um, uh, but they're not actually that old. But there is, I think there is a bit of a, a generational uh, push that might affect them um, coming to that next World Cup. Now, I think Milne will be 32. Um, maybe there's enough people out there. From that perspective, I just have some very big concerns on what exactly their team is going to be like at that ne next World Cup, especially if Bolt and Saudi sign deals uh, with um, with other with uh, you know franchises and disappear, and um, maybe a couple of other players do as well. Uh, they're in real danger of that sort of thing happening, also. Yeah, I suppose New Zealand over the last fifteen years have probably played the explosion of T Twenty cricket and leagues and IPL better than any other board, and now. This is probably the huge test as to whether that was actually sustainable. Um, they, there are two ways it pans out, which are either, um, you know, they they manage to keep getting these guys to play some bilateral series, but then because they're playing loads of T20 around the world, they then plug in at tournaments and just upgrade 
the side and they the player pool's already looking bigger because they they have they've sort of managed to get the 20th best player in New Zealand to get some game time during all the bilateral series and everything works out quite well which sort of seems to be what you'd probably expect from New Zealand because of the fact that they have consistently managed that their cricket management and governance and all that sort of stuff has been so good for a period of time the other way is of course you know players don't end up playing at that world cup and management say well you need to be available for more cricket we can't just have you coming in at short notice or something doesn't click or whatever um i don't know which way it's going to go i thought they were a slightly weird team at this world cup as they quite often are i think if you look at their attack, I, I kind of, because of the fact Nisham bowled quite a lot in the last World Cup, I kept on expecting Nisham to come on and be the sixth bowler. Whereas actually they they only used five bowlers through the whole thing and they always used eight overs of spin, which was like, okay, this, this you've probably got this one a bit the wrong way around because quite often they would end up bowling, you know, I think they probably bowled more spin. I don't have the numbers, but I would expect they probably bowled as much spin at least in this tournament as they did in the UAE, um, which isn't really what you'd expect. Um, and then they had the really weird thing as well in this, in a similar-ish way to South Africa, I guess, in that Santner is probably a better batter than Parnell, but was still coming in at seven. And they clearly didn't trust him, so you end up getting scores like 150 for four in a, in, in a yeah. game against Pakistan, which is just a sort of weird old-school score. And I think, much as I really like Finn Allen, it, it was almost like a sort of internal contradiction to have an explosive opener whose whole career has tried to score at two runs a ball and um, constantly hit boundaries and bring him in for someone like Guptill who's a bit more anchory and a bit more old school but then to, to have that explosive player but then when it didn't come off leave yourself quite as vulnerable as they did because then Williamson would come in and get 14 or 14 in the power play like he always does and it just didn't quite make sense to me. I guess you could argue their player pool probably isn't there. If you look at the players they were leaving out, there weren't that many who were thinking, God, this guy has to play. I can't believe they're not picked him. I think they were probably just trying to do the old Kiwi thing of making the best of what we've got and all that stuff about punching above their weight, which, you know, to be fair, reaching the semis with this team was probably a, a, a about, yeah, they were probably a 50-50 chance at the start of the World Cup and are probably pretty happy they made it. Um we're slightly surprised that, that Lockie was as expensive as he was across the tournament. I think there was a point where I yeah. thought he'd probably graduated to that next level of being a top, of being like an elite T20 fast bowler, whereas I think maybe maybe he hasn't quite yet. Um, but yeah, interested to see how he goes in the IPL. And um, yeah, I think they were all right. But yeah, Kiwi. <laughs> yeah, so Sant just the Santana versus um, Parnell thing. So I think also you're right from that perspective that uh, they're, they're, especially in this tournament, when they did have Nisham and Phillips, who were going to be up the order, who could they could, they could have actually just dropped Sodi at one stage, or you know, or, or played something with it. One thing I would say between the two differences, Wayne Parnell's T uh, Twenty international strike rate is a year below a runner ball. Santa actually strikes around 130, uh, and, and, that, and that's across domestic as well. And I know that Parnell's had a bit of encouragement, but I still think if you're looking up, like. I just mm. don't think it's that same level. I think Santa gave them gives them something extra, but if Santa's at eight, right? Then the, and you use Nisham and Phillips to do the you know, what the Glenn Maxwell Marcus Stoinis role, right? I, I think that might have been um, something quite interesting for them. I don't think that's why they lost specifically though. I think they like having the extra bowler in that mm. side. I think you might be right that Milne is probably the extra bowler that should have been in that side. Um, and Sodi maybe, you know, would have, could have been left out. But Ferguson not have, especially because Bolt and Southie were so good at times, 
I thought that Ferguson was at that level where you just can't hit him. You mm. know, he was just in that period where you can't hit him. And he wasn't like that this World Cup. Mm. Uh, Australia, uh, so Stark might be gone forever, despite <laughs> the fact that it would be ridiculous. But hey, it might be gone. Cummins uh, doesn't look like he's ever going to have the time to become a really good T20 bowler. Um, I'd love to be proven wrong. Cameron Green still hasn't played any T20 cricket and yet was seen as the answer, which I think tells you everything that you need to know. David Warner is going to be, what, about 43 uh, when the next tournament comes around. I don't know how good the Joshes are. I think at the next tournament, we're going to be having the same conversation about whether Australia should be playing Kane Richardson and also the same conversation about whether Agar or Zampa should be in the team. Mm. And that is my concern because, you know, I don't watch as much Big Bash as I used to, but I went through the Big Bash numbers recently and it's like, Ashton Turner is still one of the best players. Like, and I think Ashton Turner is an incredible talent, but he's probably not at the level that he's going to swing a World Cup level talent, right? And um, there just isn't, you know, the fact that Ben McDermott had a very good chance of getting in this in this team and in this squad. Ben McDermott's just a, you know, he's a mid-tier um, franchise level T20 player, I think, at best. And so what's coming through? Like, it's like, it's literally, you hope Cameron Green gets really good or I'm not sure that there's, a bunch of, you know, Alice is the only player. Alice and Green are the only two players. I'm like, well, they could be really good at that next World Cup. But other yeah. than that, I'm like, I don't know. But it's still, you know, Hazelwood, Warner, you know, Tim David's going to be in there. The two Joshes can play if one of them doesn't get injured playing golf um, or whatever he did. Um, you know, there is some there is some talent out there. But if you said to me that South Africa should be in front of um, New Zealand and Australia, I'd be like, yeah, that's more than fair. Because I, I have so many questions with New Zealand and Australia. With South Africa, I'm like, I think you could fix this team fairly easy. Whether you will or not, I have no idea. I think you wrote something about this during the tournament. I thought it was really funny how Australia effectively had exactly the same group stage twice, admittedly with a washout this time. But in 2021, they won the tournament having got absolutely hammered by England and won all their other Super 12 games. And this year, they got absolutely hammered by New Zealand and won all their other Super 12 games. But because of, you know, I, I don't know whether it was sort of media narrative or body language mm. experts or what exactly it was, but there was some kind of general vibe around that everyone was like, no, Australia is now terrible, um, having previously been, oh my God, Australia, have, I you know, I don't think anyone was actually saying it, but sort of solved D20 cricket in 2021. Um It was, it, it was in, it just interesting to see the contrast, I guess. I, I think across the two tournaments, Australia are probably the second or third or fourth or something like that best team. If you take those two tournaments as, um, you know, two different World Cups in quite different conditions across 12 months, I think they were up there, but not the best team. And I think all these structural issues that you talk about, you know, the big bash, where it is, why isn't it producing these players? How do you get to a position where the big three quicks haven't played very much T20 cricket between them, but are coming into a tournament as the main three guys how do you balance the side? Because that's been a sort of constant battle over the last however long because they went through that huge period of having Agar at seven and then completely dropped mm. that midway through, well, on the on the eve of the tournament last time and then played one game in the middle where they changed it back and got hammered. And I think all of this stuff that has been the the, the sort of question marks around Australian T20 cricket in the last however long, it's it's was there last year, it's still there now. And I don't think a lot has actually changed in that period. I think they probably made... They, you know, they made one change in personnel, which was a good change. Smith out, David in, 
and mm. maybe they could maybe they could have risked it and gone a couple of others. Maybe they could have had Ellis in for Stark or Cummins, but I, I I don't know. I don't think it made a huge difference. Yeah, I think Ellis in for the Stark. You saw what happened when they dropped Stark when he was bowling shit, right? Mm. If they had gone through that World Cup and and still won three games and lost one game, um, and Stark hadn't played, you know what the narrative would have been it would it would have gone like bailey would have almost bailey and mcdonald whoever made the ultimate decision would have lost their jobs right and it wouldn't have made any more sense than anything else um they were overrated last time and they're probably being underrated this time and but they're a team with as i said all those issues i've just said i'm not sure any of that is going to go away in that next tournament unless some incredible wave of talent unless some young australian cricketer starts playing uh for spain um, and makes a bunch of runs and, you know, does a Tim David. By the way, um, Spanish cricket is looking for young Australian cricketers. So if you are an Australian <laughs> cricketer who's pretty handy and wants to play for Spain, get in touch with me and I'll pass you through to them. Now we come on to India. Again, I think I had India slightly higher because the Jadeja Bumrah um, not being available, right? And also a bit like South Africa, it's just like, I think there's just a few tweaks that you and, and maybe those tweaks are not small like dropping Virat Kohli and Rohit Sharma are not small tweaks but on a on a pure talent basis um and also the way that they were playing T20 cricket before this world cup I, I felt that you know Australia England West Indies and maybe India were the four teams that came to this world cup going we're just going to smash fours and sixes everywhere and then literally they turned on the TV and watched Sri Lanka versus Namibia and were like <laughs> oh shit and I thought India probably early on with the best team at going, no, no, we can't play that way, right? And then they finally got to a game where they should have played that way and gone back to that style and it was gone. I, I still believe, I, I think that India could do have a very similar lineup to England and bat very, very deep and have a lot of bowling options and, and you know, and say to Jadeja and say to, um, you know, Ashwin, there are going to be games where you guys just don't bowl your overs, right? But, you know, Ash, if you can bat at number 10 um, or number nine, that's huge for us, and then we can we can just tell the guys up the order to smack the shit out of it. But I'm at this stage, I just don't know. I don't know if India was bad enough for the BCCI to actually do what happened in 2015 with England, right? Which is go, let's just back the young talent and go all in because actually, when you look at the two tournaments, they weren't that bad. And that mm. and, and Indian fans don't want to hear that. Indian fans want to hear they were terrible. But when you actually look, go through it, you're like. They weren't that bad. I mean, they, they could have beat. They picked, could have beat South Africa in that game, right? But twice South Africa tried to smash them out of their game, and they forced their way back in. Um, and you know, the, you know, coming back from the dead against Pakistan as well, they had a bit of a, you know, a, and you know, across the two tournaments, um, I don't think they were as bad as it probably feels like if you're an Indian fan right now. But because they've been losing since 2014, I can understand why an Indian fan is like, I don't care, Jared, shut up. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. I, I almost, to be honest, in the semi, I didn't think it was that much of an intent issue early on. I think it just, I think the, the new ball was easier to face in the run chase when the, when the lights had come in. And I think Rohit just looked like he was massively out of form for most of the comp. Like he was trying to score runs in Adelaide. I think that's fair. I do think that eight to thirteen over. Yeah, period, true. Yeah, like, yeah. Though I was like, "What are you doing?" Like, yeah, they, like, I'm not <laughs> trying to. Go. I'm not trying to build up like a twenty ball twenty or whatever it was. It's an amazing innings on a pitch where England got 170 and 16 overs. But I thought it was more of a he looks horribly out of touch thing rather than yes. a um, this guy doesn't know how to play T20 cricket or anything like that. I think it, having sort of looked at India's squad at the end of last World Cup, I thought well. You know, there's obviously going to be a lot of they should completely change everything. They should change the personnel because they were 
you know, they they lost two games and were basically out of that last World Cup. So I, I sort of saw why there was going to be that big reaction. And then looked at it and was like, well, actually, in Australia, you probably want a top three of Rohit, KL Rahul and, and Virat. And, you know, Virat did really well and the openers didn't really. And yeah, may, maybe they took it too far, but... You and I watch a lot of IPL. There's not like four guys out of this squad that would have made them a much better team in this particular tournament. No, like, not, not at not, all. There's a couple of fringe players, obviously, and, and Jadeja and Boomer not being around. Umar and Malik would have been really handy, but I'm not sure that they play him anywhere outside of perhaps Perth. And I don't think their seam bowlers were... He bowls in the middle overs. Their their main problem was really probably more at the death anyway. Um, mm. You know, like Shaheen Afridi going off against them. You, you probably shouldn't have that happening. Um, <laughs> and, and so... I, I'm looking at it and I'm like, yeah, maybe Chahal should have played a couple of times. Probably should have played at Adelaide looking back. But I don't think going in, I was like, Chahal has to play because it's Adelaide. Like, um, uh, I could have seen them uh, picking him. I don't think they made that many mistakes. Their actual style of cricket also was fitting. As you said, they were coming to Australia. Then they got the early season wickets like everyone else did. They mm. had that top three. It just didn't work. And, um, and that's the hardest thing to explain to, you know, to uh, fans, which is, it just didn't click in the way that it was supposed to, and they didn't win the games that, uh, that they should have. But you know, they get one extra wicket. It was the was it a drop catch? Was it Virat that dropped the catch out at deep in wicket in the South Africa chase? Mm, I think Not so. Ashwin. Yeah, yeah. They take that catch, and then Wayne Parnell is like padding up, and you're thinking <laughs> we've got a real big chance here. Sorry yeah. to go back to Wayne Parnell. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Wayne. He's gonna have a, he's gonna have an absolute nightmare. Listen, bloody to good this, bowler he? though. Hasn't he improved his bowling? <laughs> He's got a good Instagram feed as well. Um, I, I thought heading into the the semis, I went on a pod and sort of said one of those things where something blurts out and you think, oh God, did I mean that? Where I said, I thought India had the worst attack of the four semifinalists. And I I feel like that did come to pass because much as, you know, Arshdeep bowled pretty well in the tournament, Shami and Boovy both did all right at times. I felt like there was never quite enough wicket-taking threat and I couldn't quite work out whether they were going for, we're going to, take wickets with the new ball and that's how we're going to control the innings or whether we're going to squeeze in the middle with the finger spinners um, without taking wickets, but we're just going to make scoring pressure such a big thing. And then they didn't quite have enough at the death either. So it almost was like, it was like a balanced attack, but wasn't quite strong enough in any given phase that they were ever going to like control a game or had a, it didn't feel like they had a plan to control an innings. I did think, you know, it's one of those tricky situations that you get into in a World Cup where you you back a finisher for a while and he doesn't score runs in two or three games and suddenly your tournament's on the line and you make a change. But I do think it was weird that, you know, they back Kartik to be the guy for however many months, like six months heading into this tournament and then get rid of him right at the end for, uh, you know, I love Pant, but he was out of form. Um, I get why they did it with the whole left-hand, right-hand thing, but and then used him at six as well, which was weird. But also, DK got run out in one of those innings. Yeah, right? exactly. And perhaps was it even run out? And then there was the scramble stumping, like yeah. at the end. And what, it's you know what I mean, like just random shit happens in World Cups sometimes, especially for a middle order batter. And the other thing, exactly. the other thing that I thought was frustrating on that point is they back Jahal for most of that period as well as the leg spinner, and then didn't pick him in the World Cup for a single game. I don't think I don't think Jahal's played a single game at either of the last T Twenty World Cups, which feels wrong somehow. So I don't really know how that's happened, given he's played pretty much, you know, two thirds of bilateral games for India during the, the period between them. Something's, something's not quite right there where they don't trust him enough to play him in a World Cup, but do want to play him in every other game. Yeah, I think they also, they have one bit of bad luck, which was, I think Harshal Patel would have been very good in a summer Australian World Cup, right? 
And I think he would have bowled a little bit like Dwayne Bravo and he would have been very effective in a summer World Cup. But once they got there, they actually needed another proper seamer and they didn't really have that in that, you know, he's not, he's not the person you could bring in. So suddenly they had this guy that probably wasn't going to help them that much in that particular mm. environment as well. Like had they had, I don't know, Prashid Krishna or who's the guy from Kolkata? Shivan um, Marvi. Shivan Marvi. Or who's the, who's the other guy that bowled quite well last year? He, he was bowling for them against South, Af- uh, South Africa in the one day. If they'd had someone like that who, on paper, like you wouldn't say, oh, this is the guy we need in the team, right? But when you get to Australia, like Arshdeep suddenly looked like a way better player than I thought he was going to be in Australia because of, of the way that World Cup broke. Um, but not having that other ball. Having said that, you look at someone like New Zealand um, and, and they didn't even go with that. Uh, with that extra ball. So some teams did. Who, who did? Uh, South Africa went with the extra seam bowler and Pakistan mm. went with the extra seam bowler. So not every team like went all in on that. But I did think that Harshal absolutely wasn't uh, ideal for that situation. All right, Pakistan. Hilarious, of course, and, and brilliant. And, you know, to, the ability to almost lose, well, to lose from those positions uh, should be celebrated on its own. Um, I still think when you look at the two World Cups, they're up there. I don't know if they're quite in the same tier of England. In fact, the more I'm talking about all these other teams, I almost want England in a separate tier right at the moment, especially <laughs> considering all their injuries. But I don't think Pakistan's quite in that tier, but they certainly should. Like you and I could argue over South Africa, New Zealand, Australia, and India. I don't think we can argue about Pakistan over the, the last two World Cups not being the best team. Also, they're incredibly young, um, and yep. someone like Shadab should continue to develop. They they clearly need one or two better middle order options or lower middle order options uh, available to them going forward. Um, but uh, it, I think it would have been a disastrous um, two World Cups if they hadn't even made a final, considering <laughs> the talent they have. And we can talk about the Rizwan Ababa opening stand as much as we want. I think that has to be split up before the next World Cup. I think one of them has to bat at three or four. Um, uh, but but their their game plan still got them to a situation where if uh, you know if um, uh, Ben Stokes had hold out uh, off Iftikhar, they might <laughs> still have actually have stolen that game, right? You know, so they're not that far away. Even if it's the most one dimensional game plan in T Twenty cricket, it's a hell of a dimension. Mm. Yeah, I, I think, to be honest, I think despite the fact they were, you know, whatever the situation was, England needed 41 off 30 balls when Shaheen came back and it's very difficult to not think what if. I think last year was almost more of a missed opportunity for them just because of the the um, disproportionate amount of cricket they played in the UAE to, compared to everyone else. They, they seem so well suited to those conditions in a way that they, you know, coming to Australia, I thought, well, not many of these guys are playing the big bash. Pakistan haven't played a lot of bilateral cricket in Australia recently. I can see this being quite tough. Um, and yeah, I thought they did pretty well, um, all told. I think to to have reached the final in conditions that clearly weren't going to be ideal for them is a pretty good achievement. And to have taken it as close as they did, you know, they they were, they, they sort of, they needed one more bit of luck really for Shaheen's need to, to hold up through the tournament. And then it's arguably a 50-50 game if, if Shaheen has those two overs at the end. Um, I thought they made a really good change early on when they brought Wasm Jr. in. I thought it just made their side look so much more balanced where you had four quicks and two spinners. Um, Shadab was brilliant. The fact that they relied so much on those two openers for so much of the last two years and then neither of them had good tournaments and they still managed to uh, reach the final, that was a pretty good effort. Mm. Um, and yeah, much as much as there's been some sort of contentious... Um, selections in the middle order and that's that seems like it's going to be a never-ending issue for Pakistan cricket it, 
Masood did kind of do a job um, at times. Like he, mm. I think he he ended up as their, their equal highest run scorer with Riz, Rizwan. Played some pretty important innings. I mean, particularly in the final, if he stayed in for another ten balls, they might have um, might have got just enough. And uh, yeah, for all the obvious flaws that Iftikhar has, for example, you know, he did play a really really good innings against India that nearly won them the game. Two innings, didn't he? Did, did he make another fifty as well that got them? In yeah, against... he did actually. Yeah, you're right against um, yeah. South Africa. So. He made almost all of his career runs now in Australia in <laughs> <laughs> yeah. T20 cricket. It's phenomenal. So, yeah, I, look, I, there, there's something there. They, they, they're young. Shadab can bat top, top six, right? I yeah. think if you've got a bowler who is a genuine top uh, frontline bowler who can bat top six and he should improve, um, I think he's been found out a little bit in the last couple of years now that people are probably scouting for him a little bit more than they were beforehand. Um uh, but he could certainly bat in their top six. And so that should give them incredible flexibility. Um, you know, it'd be interesting to see what, you know, Wazem Jr. does when um, when he's not playing on pitches that bounce because he looked as mm. likely to hit the ball as you or I do um, <laughs> in those particular um, uh, games. But, yeah, I, I think they're really interesting going ahead. And, you know, uh, you know that, that next World Cup could certainly um, help them. Let's get on to England. So I've now, while we've been discussing this, mentally moved them into a tier on their own because they probably should have won the last World Cup. They have won this World Cup. And yet, what are we up to? 11 combined injuries um, <laughs> across those two tournaments. We still haven't seen, we may never see Joffre again. Like they may never be at full form. We don't know. Um, but if you do put, if you put Joffre into either of these sides, it's just ridiculous, right? Like if Joffre comes back at, 90% of what he used to be. Um, it would be an absolutely incredible side. And, you know, I've just finished doing, you know, another project on them. And it's like, we still, I don't think we've ever seen them at a World Cup fully firing. I think in 2019, they were kind of all over the shop. 2017, they looked really good and then, you know, shut the bed in the semifinal. 2016, they were trying to work it out, but it was really, it was quite one-dimensional what they were doing back then. Uh, 2021, obviously, was the injuries. This one was injuries um, and, you know, and getting caught out on the wrong kind of surfaces uh, against against the island and, and not playing particularly smart. What happens if they actually play the way that you and I think they can play? Like, I don't see how any other teams can touch. They just made Sam Current. He shouldn't have been player of the tournament, obviously. Absolutely horrendously stupid idea. But they just made Sam Curran a makeshift death bowler and they won, and he won player of the tournament. Like, it's bizarre how much success they have with, like, these role players. Yeah. I think, well, you nailed it there in terms of the injuries. I was yesterday trying to sort of work out like what would be, could I could I find like an 11 that, of, of England players that weren't available for the final? And I was I was picking it and I was like, well, so your attack is going to be Wood, Topley, Archer, Willie. And then I was like, hold on. So I'm, or didn't didn't appear in the final at least. I was like, Wood, Topley, Archer, Willie. And then I was like, hold on, I'm leaving Saki Mahmood and Tamar Mills out of my sort of second string England team here, out of players that didn't play. And you know, they didn't have Bear, so they didn't have Roy, they didn't have Milan. You can make a case that Root would have been an all right player if 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 things had transpired very differently over the last three years. He probably would be an all right um middle order accumulator in the similar sort of role Stokes did. And, you know, while it, it's quite interesting, we always sort of want to talk about T twenty cricket in these big tactical philosophies and all this sort of stuff. And England clearly have gone all in on batting. You know, they had Christian and Muscarlo at number ten. It's very difficult to sort of make the case that they didn't um, have incredible batting depth in the knockout stages. But if you look at the fact that it, it out of, they basically had four must win games at the end of the tournament, 
in the first game they had a big opening partnership and then some slightly chaotic hitting against New Zealand to get up to a 180 which was a good score but no one in the middle order got more than 20 I think then um against Sri Lanka they had a real grind run chase where Stokes anchored and scored 110 and that was the big thing after a big opening stand then they had another massive opening stand against India, which won them the game. And then in the final, again, it was a massive grind from Stokes. So it, actually two of those four games, I mean, it, Chris Jordan was talking about it. He was interviewed by Sky yesterday after the final and was talking about how um, it, it, Butler's sort of big message since they arrived in Australia and they, they sort of realised that it was going to be slightly different to, um, you know, playing bilateral cricket in England or playing in Pakistan where they'd just been. It was like, we need to be adaptable. We need to be able to win ugly, basically, and to sort of dig deep and do all that sort of thing. And two of those four wins were really ugly wins. They were set up by bowlers and then pretty ugly run chases where they crept over the line and not that convincing style, but you always thought they were probably marginal favourites. So I think the fact that, you know, England have been built up as a team with this great strategy and philosophy, and they probably do have that overarching, and there is still this the whole fearless, ultra-attacking, ultra-positive stuff that people talk about having filtered down into English domestic cricket, which it definitely has. They, the, the, the elite level, the, the, the team, the flagship team, is one that has actually become quite adaptable and just, just really, really good mm. as well, rather than just doubling down on this philosophy. They're just, they're, they, they win a lot of games, I think, since they arrived in Australia. If you look at games that lasted 40 overs or could have lasted 40 overs, they've, they've won every game. They beat Australia 2-0. Um, they lost to Ireland in a rain-reduced game. It was probably a coin toss. Um, you know, they clearly played really badly at the MCG against Ireland, but that was probably a coin toss game. I think um, Crickviz had them slightly ahead um, at the point when they went off. And other than that, they've they've just just kept on winning games, um, one way or another. So yeah, I, I agree. I do think across the two tournaments, um, they they are the best team. Um, but and especially because they they've changed quite a lot since the last tournament. They've changed a lot since 2019. They've changed a, a, quite a lot since the last tournament in terms of personnel. And yet people keep coming into the side and keep managing to do well. So that that sort of seems to speak to there being quite a lot of um, you know it just being a team where people plug in, understand roles, and plan well, and therefore play well. 2015, Mitchell Stark is the player of the World Cup for Australia. 2019, I would argue he was better. Right, and by this tournament, he's absolutely a spent force. They've tried to give him this wobble ball for Test cricket; it's completely ruined his new ball bowling for Australia. Right, Sam Curran, who's a fucking power play bowler who doesn't always get through his four overs at the top level, suddenly becomes a better death bowler than Mitchell Stark. You have to question how well England are handling what. I mean, Sam Curran's a, he's a, obviously a clearly above um, average level talent but how well they are handling their players compared to everyone else. I think that's just, there's just no other way of looking at that and, and going, uh, things are working well. Where, you know, you know, there was all this stuff about, um, you know, fast bowlers and, you know, in, India had all these, you know, medium pace bowlers and whatever. And it's like, well, Sam Curran was player <laughs> of the tournament, right? Like it, it, it's, the whole thing is completely remarkable. And I think, um, I think, yeah, that was definitely the best team. Uh, Matt Roller, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Red Inca on 99.94. For more information about us, go to 99.94dm.com. Remember to download our app or just search for West Indies, India, England, South Africa and Sri Lanka with the search term 99.94 where you find podcasts or on YouTube. There is more information on my guests in the show notes. Please support them where you can, but also support us. 
If you can't help out on Patreon, every single review, share, or word of mouth suggestion to your friend helps us. However, this podcast is made available by the people who support us at Patreon, so thank you to all of those who do. There is a link to the Patreon in the show notes. Red Inker is made by me, Jared Kimber. Nick McCorriston makes the best audio anyone can from random Zoom calls. We also have a great support team from 42, with Rati Joshi on socials, Orijoti Seinapia, and Meda Akam producing some of the shows, and Makunda Banredi as the head of YouTube content. Our theme tune is by the Red Cricket. Podcast Network.